It was as if you had read my 2022 gardening plans, or maybe I've been listening to you and Carol so much. I just channel you now. Listener June Thomas. Gosh, thanks, June. And Dee, if someone's channeling us for their garden plans, we need to up our game. (laughs) Indeed we do, Carol. Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Dee Nash from Guthrie, Oklahoma where I garden on seven and a half acres out in the country. And I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana. I have a suburban garden measured in square feet, 15,000 of them. It's a third of an acre. We call ourselves Garden Angelus because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening and we want you to love it too. Yes, we do. And we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough of who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. Good morning, Dee. Good morning, Carol. How does your garden grow? Well, last week it growed very slowly because it's cold. But today and yesterday, much better. And Dee, I did it. I mowed my grass yesterday in the front. (laughs) Okay. A lot of neighbors mowed their grass yesterday. It was Sunday and uh, I found the first violet in the lawn when I was out there mowing. So that's always exciting. And then afterwards, I cleaned up the strawberry bed and inside my tomatoes are up. My peppers are coming up and I've got those things all thinned out. And then I have to confess something I did. <laughs> I can see it in our notes. You tell them I'm not saying a word. I, I was at Lowe's buying something totally unrelated to gardening. And I went out to the garden center and they had those perennial violas that I was all enchanted with last year. Not a one of them's come back. Mm-hmm. So I bought two more because, you know, it's just like, okay, they're still pretty. So I bought two. They're from Monrovia. Yeah. Celestial Nights and Starry Celestial Nights, I think they are. Anyway, planted I, them right out. I've grown versions of those and they don't perennialize here either. And I think it's because it gets too hot in the summer for them. And so they just can't recover. My hope is I planted them earlier this year, so they'll have a chance to grow a little bit more before the heat. So we'll see. But enough about my garden. What's going on in Oklahoma? Oh, my. I'm in the thick of April planting. I think, note, I think we have had our last freeze. However, I'm going to tell everybody that's listening, keep watching the weather because in your area, because you know what? It could change in an instant if a cold front comes down. Um, I inspected my bees on Sunday. And I think in the last time I talked about the bees, I said, I felt like I really knew I was doing this year. Uh This week, this week told me, no, no, you don't. You don't know what you're doing. Cause I have one, I have one colony that I think is queenless and is trying to do an emergency queen. And I split another colony to keep them from swarming. Bees are endlessly frustrating and fascinating, sort of like gardening. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then I planted some of my pots on the deck. And I still have a bunch more to do after this podcast, which is one of my goals. I fed roses, which we're going to talk about today. I still haven't got them all fed, but I'm getting there. The problem is is you have to go away from them and then do other things and then come back. I planted out more perennial salvias. So where you are fascinated with violas, I'm kind of fascinated with a new salvia. It's called Salvia Nemorosa Salvatore Blue. And what's interesting about it is it's a relatively new seed variety that has bigger bloom spikes than Caradonna. I'll take your word for it. 
It does. And I can take a picture of them side by side and put it on Instagram, maybe. That's if I ever put anything on our Instagram, which I do in stories sometimes. So um, anyway, that's what's going on in my garden. Well, I got to say, if you're living in Indiana or points north, it is not time to start putting that stuff out in the garden. We still have plenty of opportunities for frost. In fact, I've been obsessively watching the weather because, you know, the big Easter egg hunt is going to be Saturday afternoon in my garden. Right. Easter looks not very good. And Monday after Easter, we'll see if this bears out. It's supposed to be a high of 48, which is not very high, not very warm. I think people are going to be wearing jackets in your garden and long pants. Well, the day of the hunt, it's supposed to be high of like 60, 61. So that means about 63. So we'll see. So not bad. And you're doing it in the evening this time instead of late afternoon. Late afternoon, which will be better because this time of year it warms up. Like right now, it's kind of chilly here, but by this afternoon, it's supposed to be in the 70s. So very nice. Well, I'm going to do a quote to kick off the flower topic. Here we go. If the sight of the blue skies fills you with joy, if a blade of grass springing up in the fields has power to move you, if the simple things of nature have a message that you understand, rejoice for your soul is alive. Eleonora Deuce. I found this quote, I think it was from Brighter Images, Garden of Brighter Images. And I thought it was really beautiful because I think it's true. I think people that are lit up inside um, love the rhythms of nature. Spring gives everybody a boost, right? Oh, definitely. So speaking of giving a boost. Yeah, that's good. Say that again. So speaking of giving a boost. So you're going to talk about how you give your roses a boost in the spring by talking about how you fertilize them, because that is a question we have gotten from people when, because I'm, I don't want to say I, obs- I talk obsessively about violas, but we often hear that you're fertilizing your roses and it seems to be quite the process. Tell us about it. So you asked me about this last week and we decided just to make it our flower topic. So in spring, about now, when you see foliage, and maybe just a little before I fertilize with a, a brand of fertilizer called Mills Rose Magic. And it was created by a guy who was um, a famous rosarian. And they changed the recipe up a bit this year. So it doesn't smell so bad, which is good. I think they took the sewage sludge out of it, which gross. You know, I know gross, right? So my dog quit trying to dig up all my newly planted roses, which is a big plus and it doesn't stink. Other people feed their roses other ways. So there used to be way, way back in the beginning when I started doing roses, the idea was that you fed them during the growing period once a month, and then you would stop to let them harden off. In Oklahoma, that would be about August because, you know, you want them to harden off for winter, right? You know, all bets are off now and things have changed and roses have changed and we're not trying to grow them for exhibition anymore. At least most of us aren't. So my deal is, I feed them once in spring and then if the garden and then about midsummer when the garden is just looking kind of tired from all of the heat, I take our hose in sprayer for fertilizer and I put natural liquid fertilizer in it and you can use whatever you want. There's a whole bunch of brands, ladybug brand. There's a, a doc, one, this doctor, somebody's brand there's, they're just everywhere. And then you spray that on everything to just give it all a boost that's what I do most of the time, unless I have time and then I do other things. But I wanted to also talk about Chris Van Cleve 
he's the redneck Rosarian and he's a really good rose grower. And he's been a part of the American Rose Society forever. Really, really nice guy. Um, once plants begin to leaf out, he alternates every six weeks between compost and manures like Annie Haven, who's out in California, her Mupu tea, which would be similar to what I'm doing with the rose, right? You know, the end sprayer, right? I think he does his with a drench and then an all purpose fertilizer of 10, 10, 10. And so I was a little surprised to see that it was 10, 10, 10, because that's completely balanced. And usually you don't use that much nitrogen on your roses, but I'm thinking that what he is doing is he's trying to beef them up and make them really strong so that they're more impervious to leaf diseases and all kinds of things. And so he made me think maybe I should do more, but I'm not going to use a 10, 10, 10 fertilizer because that wouldn't be organic. And I do mostly organic fertilizers. So I'll still do my thing about when they look peaked. And then also I, after I fertilize each rose, you have to dig a little trench around it and put in the fertilizer, right. the granular, put the trench back. And then so that I know that I've got that done, because I've got quite a few roses now, again, I take back to nature or I take um, happy frogs, it's called um, Happy Frog Compost Soil Conditioner. I take it or I take their soil conditioner, which has similar ingredients, and I put that back on the rose because it's black and I can see in my mulch that I've fertilized that rose. And it also adds more nutrients to the soil, which drip down into the soil. And so I might do that every month. I might throw some more of that soil conditioner on there. Or you can also use something called alfalfa pellets. People fertilize roses in lots of different ways. Right. Um, almost all natural rose fertilizers have alfalfa in them and some sort of animal manure, or they have bird um, feathers, you know, the chicken feather, feather meal. So look at your ingredients, decide how you want to do it. Just know that roses are really heavy feeders. And I like to add stuff back to the garden that gives, you know, some nutrient boost to everything around the roses too, because the roses don't do much in, in most of the United States. They don't do much in the middle of summer because it's too hot. So you're really going for two different rose blooms, the rose bloom in the spring and the rose bloom in the fall. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Now you're going to talk about soil testing. Well, I'm going to say this in, in the world of big agriculture, soil testing is a big business and there's a lot of um, computerization and so that they can very directly apply just the right fertilizer. I mean, almost acre by acre in their farms. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's also a lot of controversy about the amount of fertilizer that farmers use and, you know, the importance of good soil. And when you have good soil, you often do not need chemical fertilizers. So we will park that because that is way out of our wheelhouse, so to speak, to talk about that. Right. But if you are uncertain of your soil, say you have a new garden and maybe things just aren't doing very well, you might benefit from going and getting your soil tested. You can check with the Cooperative Extension Service in your area and they'll tell you where you can go get soil tested. They usually don't test it. You can also buy little home kits, but they don't do a super great job. They might tell you the pH of the soil. So around here, there's a place called Great Lakes Testing that some people send samples to. Mm-hmm. Here, our counties do it. Our county extension service will test your soil for a fee. 
but you've got to make sure that it's it's fairly com- a fairly complicated process because you get those little bags and you're supposed to use soil from different parts of your garden. Right. And I can tell you for a fact, my garden, as big as it is, has very different requirements in different areas. But keep going. There's a new company out there. There is a new company that we found out about from Garden Media Group, and that is Turtill Garden Program. And mm-hmm. what they will do is test your soil and then give you the results. And also you can buy from them the exact fertilizer that you need for that garden area. And it's kind of geared towards uh, raised beds when I looked at the website. So, you know, they have programs and it's not inexpensive, but if you just are not having the results that you wanted, this would be something to look into. And like I said, they can give you exactly the fertilizer you need, which is a nice bonus. And it's organic. Yeah. Right. Isn't the fertilizer organic? I believe it is. I think it is. So if you're using it and I would use organics in a vegetable garden, we've talked about this before because, you know, organic, if you're going to eat it, might as well use an organic fertilizer. Um, I think it's a, after really reading about it, I thought it sounded like a good idea. It might be pricey, but the truth is all of these amendments that we put on our soil are pricey anyway. They are. And I was going to say my niece and her husband had their soil tested for their New Orleans Louisiana garden. And she showed me the results and she says, okay, Aunt Carol, what should we do? And I'm like, I have no idea of looking at this. I mean, they had the analysis and stuff, but it needs somebody that understands the results to interpret it. And it says, okay, you know, you are low in nitrogen, you are low in iron, Phosphorus. you are low in this, your pH right. is that here's what you should do. And so, I mean, if I ever knew that, because I, I got a book back there on my shelf called Soil Fertility and Fertilizers from when I took Soil Fertility and Fertilizers back in 1980, but I don't remember anything, D. You know, you open those old books and you think, I knew that stuff. Yeah, I got tested on that. I think you also make another good point in our notes here. If you live in an urban garden, you should also test for heavy metals. And there's also some worries about, um, oh, and I don't know what the right way to put this, but like, in, if you're if you're in an urban garden, there could also be problems with dogs in the area and their feces. So there's a lot of things you need to test for in urban gardens versus a garden like mine, which is out in the middle of nowhere, or a garden like yours that is in suburbia. Yeah. And I, I talked to the people that collect uh, soil samples for heavy metal testing because actually you do studies, I think. I don't know if it's tied into the local university here in Annapolis, or it's tied into Purdue, but they can almost tell you now by where you're located, like in the city of Indianapolis, I'm assuming other cities as well. Yeah, that's not a great area. You probably should maybe even avoid growing vegetables in that soil. Definitely go with raised beds. They'll tell you because there's some industrialized areas that um, kind of are made the soil a mess. Yeah. And if you are starting your brand new raised beds this year, you're going to bring in your own, it's going to be potting soil or garden soil into those raised beds. And so you won't have to test that because it's already been balanced for you. Yeah. Um, So something to think about. And with fertilizers, whether you're using natural fertilizers, which tend to be low in all of the nutrients, and they also tend not to burn plants, high nitrogen will burn plants, Um, but it will also cause excessive leaf growth. And if you're not careful, you'll end up with a bunch of trouble with bugs because bugs are very, insects are very, very attracted to new leaf growth. That's something to keep in mind. So for flowers or anything that fruits, 
you aren't going to want higher nitrogen. So don't put a bunch of fertilizer on your tomatoes, in other words. Or if you do use a fertilizer on your tomatoes, use one that is balanced for tomatoes. Um, although you can find balanced fertilizers and they don't necessarily have to say tomato. Um, what else do I want to say? It needs to be natural. Now, the exception to all of this are daylilies. Of course, daylilies are an exception. Yeah, I didn't get good at growing daylilies until one of my friends, Lori, told me that you need to use a high nitrogen fertilizer, which seems to go against everything we just told you. High nitrogen fertilizers cause those clumps to bulk up. And the bigger the clump, the more flowers you have. Yeah, and that that is true of a lot of perennials. They You really want that plant to bulk up before it does heavy flowering. Because you need a nice, big, healthy plant. But anyway, it's, you know, fertilizing and stuff. It's something that it is confusing to people yeah. what to do and so much experimentation and things. And so the best thing still is good organic matter added to the soil and keep that soil healthy. And you probably don't need a ton of fertilizer if you just are growing regular stuff, unless you're like growing roses, growing daylilies and things like that. But most of the time, your average garden doesn't need that much. It doesn't need that much. And compost, that's good organic matter is compost. So, and so anything that you use that is a natural compost is good, I think, for your garden. I just don't think you can go wrong. Um, the other thing is you don't want to put down one of those composts like Black to Nature right where you're getting ready to sprout seeds outdoors when you're getting ready to direct sow seeds. For some reason, it Back to Nature, in my opinion from my experience, it impedes seed germination huh. right at first, which is great because then it'll stop weeds from growing at the very beginning of the season. And then by the time your other stuff grows up, it shades out the weeds. But if you're trying to grow sunflowers out in the garden, you probably don't want to top it off with that particular compost. True that. Get that next quote, Dean. Let's move on to the big vegetable topic. April hath put on a spirit of youth in everything. That is from of one of Shakespeare's sonnets. And I'm not going to try to tell you which sonnet it is because it's in Roman numerals. Yeah, I don't know which sonnet. I would have to think about it. And I don't have time right now. So, wait, I'm really excited about today's veggie topic. I think it's sonnet 98. Okay, sonnet 98. Vegetable topic. I feel like we should make noises like, I'll let you do that. No. That's all we're doing. We're talking about power tools that we use in the garden because we do use power tools. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we do. Especially now because they develop those power tools that are lightweight and they have rechargeable batteries. And I happen to have the DeWalt brand because that's what my husband bought in the beginning. It's a really good brand. I, they've never given me a thing to say that. Um it's also really easy to spot in the garden because it's yellow and the batteries are yellow. So you can find them in your husband's garage. Um, I think they're amazing. And you have a trimmer, a string trimmer and a small chainsaw. I have two small chainsaws. I also have the chainsaw that's on the pole. I have the small blower. I have all, I think I have everything they make, but we collected them over two years because they're expensive. And, um, the batteries are not cheap either, but as soon as you use one battery on one set of power tools, you zip it back in. And I think the reason we bought so many of the chainsaws is last year's, you know, year before last, when we had the horrible ice storm, I had to cut back everything in the garden after that really bad cold snap too. So I needed it. And we, we were out there with those chainsaws working hard. 
So my power tools, I ended up, I've, I've had some that I've discarded because it's like the batteries were terrible. Mm-hmm. This is about five, six years ago. And it's like, I get 10 minutes out of the battery and it's like, this is crazy, but I'm, I'm using the works brand W R W O R X. Yes, I can talk. <laughs> uh, I have a string trimmer and the leaf blower that I use every time I mow. I used that string trimmer yesterday, you know, it's just, mm-hmm. Boom, put the battery in and it does the whole front yard and the most of the backyard too. And the nice thing is the replacement spools for the cost of shipping, they'll send you six free spools at a time for wow. life. That's good. So so I just I've got a whole big supply. I'll probably send off for some more. And because I trying to rewind those spools in the old day. I mean, you just end up, it's a mess. So our advice is whichever brand you choose, I mean, you'll have to try out something in that brand, um, but whichever brand you use, just buy everything in that brand that you want. So in my case, it's DeWalt because that's what we started with. I have to say, I'm going to give a little shout out for my favorite tool of it. My favorite tool is the hedge trimmer. That hedge trimmer makes quick work of all of my shrubs, including my boxwood. Um, in fact, I got to get out there and do it very soon because I think I have wasps in one of the boxwoods, which is not any fun. Um, so I love that string trimmer. I mean, that string trimmer. I love that too. I love the hedge trimmer. The hedge trimmer is my favorite tool. I got the hedge trimmer from works. And the nice thing about it is I had a corded one for years and you're always dragging that cord along and hoping against hope that it doesn't get tangled up in the hedge trimmer and you end up cutting the thing off. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I felt like I was looking for shrubs to trim. I think I mentioned it last year that I had this new hedge trimmer and I'm looking at the neighbors use across the street thing. And I wonder if they care if I tried out my new hedge trimmers over there. Can I, can I come trim your hedges? It's that much fun to use because I'm sure yours is the same way. Mine has two buttons as a lever under the handle and a button on the side. And you just press those and go to town. And that's true. That's why I also love the chainsaws, they do have to have oil on the chain, but then the rest of it's just all battery operated and there is no trying to start the darn thing because oh, we have that. wonderful big chainsaws that will cut anything. But I'm telling you, this these are great for small chores in the garden. Like if you have to cut down an entire crepe myrtle, use one of those. I do have one DeWalt tool and that is a reciprocating saw and you put a pruning blade on that. And so I cut limbs off with that. And then I figure if I have to get a ladder or if I feel like I need a chainsaw, that's when I should call somebody. And definitely if I thought I was going to climb up in the tree. So I do have professional tree trimmers come for stuff like that because I don't want to, I don't want to explain myself. Well, you don't want to have to go to the hospital. (laughs) The other thing I bought the other day, it's still sitting in the box. Cleaning out gutters is a pain. Mm -hmm. And so works has this Great big leaf blower that's like a great big tube, and then it's got a hook thing on the end so you can go along and blow out the gutters. Nice. So it's kind of expensive, but I thought, you know what? I'm going to get that because one misstep on the ladder trying to clean out gutters and one trip from the professional gutter cleaners pays for the dumb thing. And I can do it several times a year. So, right. And then you don't get mosquitoes in your leaves and the gutters, which can happen here because I live in a wooded area. So we get a lot of leaf fall and I have covered gutters, but still, and they're brand new now, but back when they weren't brand new, we still have to blow it off of the roof and stuff, but we hired, remember when I took down the giant loblolly pine, Uh we hired a company to come do that. And they brought in a great big piece of equipment. 
And then when we cleared down by the lake, we brought in a company. I'm going to again stress that these tools are not cheap. It took us a couple of years to collect them all. But that little leaf blower, I can blow off the potage, you know, the bricks. Uh-huh. I can blow that off in 15 minutes. Oh, yeah. I love. I do. I use that leaf blower. I use it in the paths of my vegetable garden, which are just like a fabric lining. Fabulous. The other thing, too. Uh, so I used to not trim every time I mowed. But when I got this new trimmer, I mean, I, I laugh because there's a neighbor around the way and he always has his his um, sidewalks really perfectly edged. And I asked him once what he used and he told me about these works tools. So I got one and, and then he walks by with his little dog. I'm like, Hey, Tony, who's got the best edges now. So you use your string trimmer to do your edges, don't you? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, it works yeah. really well. Well, that's us. We, I mean, that's our vegetable topic. Basically it's power tools and we love them, especially the battery operated one. Well, notice I worked in the vegetable garden because I can I can do the paths with the blower. Right, me too. So it de- definitely applies to vegetables. All right. Now I got another quote. Awake thou wintry earth, fling off thy sadness. Fair vernal flowers laugh forth your ancient gladness by Thomas Blackburn. And that's from an Easter hymn. I love it. Which fits because it's Easter this weekend, which I can't wait because right. I'm tired of Lent. Okay, on the bookshelf is The Urban Garden, 101 Ways to Grow Food and Beauty in the City by Kathy Jentz and Terry Spite, who we both know and we consider them friends. That's and because right. I had one of my one of one person I know, one of our listeners asks me all the time, is everybody your friend? And I'm like, well, pretty much. We have a lot of friends from GardenCom. And we met, but I met Terry, I think, through Garden Blogging, and then met Kathy through GardenCom. Would you say the same? I met them both through GardenCom. And here's what I got to say about the urban garden. So a lot of people think that if they have a smaller urban garden, they, they're kind of limited. Mm-hmm. And this book, really 101 ideas, you have no limits, you know, but you have space limits, but the style of garden that you want, growing mm-hmm. vegetables, growing perennials, growing tropicals, seating areas, different styles, Japanese style, English style. It's a great book full of wonderful pictures and then descriptions about how you could recreate that in your own urban garden. Right. And it's organized by topics. So if you have a friend who has an urban garden who wants to delve into a particular topic, um, this is the book for them. I, I think it's it's very well organized, but that doesn't surprise me because I know Kathy and Kathy, um, she's the editor of what is she the editor of you know it washington gardener magazine which people that live in that people that live in the dc area if you're not subscribing you should be but you know there's stuff in here that you don't really think about like when you have a ton of container plants you probably think about this because you do more containers grouping plants by their watering needs is yeah it's in one of my talks yeah. Because I think that's one of the most important things you can do. If you're not going to put them on drip irrigation, anything that you've got to water by hand, group it together. It's a great idea. Yeah. And then I love this picture of the Japanese style garden where it's got the big pop of red yes. amongst all the greenery. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. The pictures in it are beautiful. And I think they took a lot of the photographs. In fact, I think they took most of the photographs. Um, they talk about designing it to be pet friendly. I get a lot of questions about um, poisonous plants for pets, uh, poisonous mulches. Don't use cocohol mulch if you have pets. Wait a minute. Poisonous plants for pets? Poisonous plants so you don't give them to your pets. Because some people's pets oh, nibble okay. on them. 
but um, some don't. It just depends on the plant. It just depends on the type of pet you have. So if you have a friend who has a city garden, as we call them, or if you're just looking for some inspiration, we recommend this new book and it comes out April the 12th, which is the day before this podcast airs. And that's The Urban Garden, 101 Ways to Grow Food and Beauty in the City by Kathy Jentz and Terry Spite. Congratulations, ladies. Yes, congratulations. Terry's had quite a year. She's been very, very busy. Yes, they both have. The dandelion does not stop growing because it's told that it's a weed. The dandelion does not care what others see. It says, one day they'll be making wishes upon me. B. B Atkinson. You found that one, didn't you? I did. I don't know where I found it. You might have texted it to me. Who knows? It's adorable. Because I think about dandelion. I have a lot of dandelions right now. And I look at them and I just, they don't bother me a bit. I just laugh because I feel like the dandelion saying, yeah, bring it. Yeah, bring it. Whatever you got, bring it because I'm still going to grow. I dug out some in the vegetable gardens this morning, actually. Well, and we have some, we have them all over the place, but, um, you know, anything that can grow in concrete, you're not going to eradicate from this earth. And the other thing would be the native violets, the dog tooth violets there. Bill said, what is that beautiful blue that's over by the little green shed? And I said, those would be a weed, but they're a really sweet wildflower weed. That's what they are, but they get into everything. And I just let them because you know what? Under trees where there's no grass, violets will grow. I love me some violets, they but are you knew that. You got our dirt today, I the do. best bird song apps from Birdwatching Magazine. So this um, article was written by a guy named Sneed B. Collard III, and it starts out kind of sad. He's lost some of his hearing, especially uh-huh. high decibel hearing. And so he can't hear, and he's a big birder. And so he was saying that at first that wasn't such a big deal because he did a lot of his bird identification through sight, but he decided that he needed an app to help him. And so he personally likes the song sleuth bird app for song identification in the field, because some bird apps work great if you do it in your house and you've got like the, like an app that has bird song in it. And then you have that other app identify, but out in the field, all the birds sing together. And especially in the spring. And so it's really right. hard to identify them. Then he also liked one called Chirpomatic. And both of them can record the bird song around you outside. And then on the first app, you can pinpoint exactly which bird song you want to listen to. And then it identifies from the part you select down to. Chirpomatic, when he wrote this article last fall, did not have that ability. Maybe it does by now. Then there's BirdNet, which is a joint venture between Cornell Labs and Chimnet's University of Technology. And it it is new in its idea that it may be able to record and ID multiple bird songs in the field. So I downloaded that last one. It's pretty exciting. I have never been good at bird apps, but I'm also not good at, you know, name this tune. Um, I never was good at that show either. I never know what tune it is. So I never know either. I'm not good at that. I know a few bird songs. So I'm going to try to learn some more bird songs. And I just thought for the people who love birds in their gardens, um, this is a great idea. It is a good idea. And I think I'm going to try one of these. And there's, I hear bird song right before dawn, you know, right before I'm getting up, I can lay there and I hear bird song. I'm thinking, who is that? Yeah. Maybe it's, you know, I put it on the Instagram, but a mama Robin has put her nest on top of the 
back porch light or patio light. And it's right at almost eye level when I walk out. Yeah. And yeah. so she flies away mad. And I every day I kind of put my arm up and take a picture to see if there's eggs in there yet. So far not, but <laughs> anyway, I know what her, I know what her, I'm mad at you sound is. Yeah. It's like that tufted titmouse that was cussing me out that day. So I, I thought that, that was kind of fun. Yeah. I know like that ain't your door lady no more. That's my door now. I'm like, yo, it's my door. Yeah. I was thinking you I might have to go out your front door and go around the gate, but you might not. Want I'm to not. Do. I explained to the Rob, I'm not going to hurt you. And I am going to continue to use this door in the story. Okay. Move on. You have the next. Clue. So I'll move on to the next quote. <laughs> look at me. I got my hands on my hips saying, you do. Robin. <laughs> you look very emphatic about this, Robin. Yeah. Gardens satisfy a need in humans that not everybody recognizes or has, but when they do, it's a marvelous experience. And I like to think that this garden does that for people. Frank Cabot. So we chose this one because it's actually from the movie, The Gardener, which is a film about Frank Cabot and his very, very famous garden, Le Quatre, I'm going to do it right, Le Quatre Vents, which means the four winds. Um, it's in Quebec, in Canada, and um, it, it is worth watching. If you have an hour and a half to sit down because it's raining outside, it's on Prime Video, and it's just so worth watching. And I'm embarrassed to say that I knew nothing about Frank Cabot before I watched this video. And I haven't done it by chance, but then it sent me down this rabbit hole because he's really, really famous. And I, but he's really famous in the East Coast. And it just goes to show that if you don't live in New York or anywhere out that way, Boston, any of those places, if you live in the middle of the country, you might not know what's going on in the rest of the country on that side. Oh, yeah. I've watched that documentary. I, I might have talked about it last year. I watched, well, I watched it before we talked about rabbit holes. But, you know, I came within <laughs> like one or two keystrokes on my computer of being able to visit that garden with yeah. GardenCom back in 2013. And, and it is like one of my biggest regrets that I was too stupid to know what it was. 2014, D says. No, I no, I said dumb. four days a year. It is only open four days a year. And you had the chance yes. to go with garden calm, which was garden writers at the time. I, uh, and I thought, Oh, I, I'm going to need to get back to, you know, my job and stuff. I can't take off more time and stay up in Quebec after the meeting. Cause it was going to be the second day. And right. so I'm like, so you, I'm just like, oh. so I didn't go to that conference at all. And I've kicked myself ever since, but I think I had a kid. I think that was the year I had two kids graduating. Like, one from high school and one getting her master's degree. So there was no way I could go because of the timing. But um, one of the reasons that Frank Cabot is so famous is this garden. And he also had a garden in New York. The garden in New York is open to the public. The garden in Quebec or outside Quebec is not open except for four days a year. And it's just to raise money for that area, which he's tried to preserve. Um, he's he's dead now, but he tried to preserve it. He started the Garden Conservancy, which I have heard of and knew about. I just know he started it. And he started it after seeing Ruth Bancroft's garden. And I have been there. I've been to Ruth Bag Bancroft's garden, which is in the it's in the Walnut Hill area around San Francisco. And I went with the garden bloggers one year. It was hot and it was dry. And that garden has a book written about it that is really pretty famous. 
So cool. Yeah. So my rabbit hole is that I don't know if it's the adults that get bored by the egg hunt because, you know, we have new kids cycling in and this year the oldest hunter is eight. The youngest is two. And so I thought to spice things up, I wrote a story. It's only 13 lines long and I'm going to cut it into strips. I numbered the sentences and it features them. I put their names in it. Cute. I'm going to hide those strips in the eggs and then they got to put it all together, you know, in the numerical order. And then they'll have a little story to read. Oh, that's fun. I like it. So that in addition to eggs, the eggs being full of money and candy, emphasis on the money because kids, you know, I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, so that was my rabbit holes. I got my story all straightened out and I got it printed and ready to cut into strips. And, you know, I got to start filling those eggs pretty soon. Yeah. You don't have much time left. It's amazing how fast it goes, right? Yeah, it is. Do you want to talk about your garden commission first or you want me to? I, well, I'm going to finish cleaning up the garden for the egg hunt. I'm in pretty good shape. I mean, if they all showed up now, it wouldn't be embarrassing or anything. Um, I'll probably mow in the front again. I didn't mention my tomatoes and peppers. Maybe I mentioned them. They're all up and growing. Um, actually planted potatoes in, in uh, fabric pots this past weekend. So, you know, just puttering around the garden, trying to get things weeded and in shape for spring. Yeah. Too soon to plant here, people. Too soon to plant. <laughs> yeah. I think you can plant here, but uh, I don't know. I might wait another week on the tomatoes if I were you guys. Um, I'm in the phase where it might get too hot too quickly. <laughs> it looks like we're going to have a series of rain. And so, but maybe not. And we've had like a whole week of windy, warm days, like 80 degrees, Carol. That's warm. And there was a fire near my house That's and it terrible. was blowing toward my house. And that was pretty scary, but it, but they got it out. So I'm in that phase where if I plant something out, I've got to make sure and go down and water it once a day to get it in, you know, settled in. And I do have drip irrigation throughout most of the garden. And that's what I suggest for everybody who can afford it or soaker hoses. But like in my cutting garden and a couple other places and my pots, I don't have that set up yet. My soaker hoses aren't attached and my drip, I have to go through all those drip emitters and check them for ants. Because the ants, you know, you have to unhook all that in the in the fall, and then the ants get into the drip emitters. So right now, I'm watering a few things by hand. And in a garden this big, you have to kind of figure out where you put things and remember, which sounds easier than it is. Oh, even in my garden, I forget where I put it. I was like, oh, I planted that there. I forgot about it. Right. And in the greenhouse, it might get hot really fast too. And so you have to go water in the greenhouse every day. And if you haven't started your seeds in the greenhouse yet, it may be too late. You may have to bring them out of the greenhouse at some point and put them in a shady spot and water them there because it gets too hot in there to do anything. So the good news is Bill stabilized the new fountain and he put the rocks back. Yay. And so I'm, yeah, yay. And so I'm going to plant Salvio Indigo Spires Blue, which is a type that looks like a Farinacea. Um, and then I'm going to put also red or orange lantana around it and maybe some red pentas on the ends. And those are all fantastic butterfly nectar plants and they look really good around the fountain. And Indigo Spires Blue gets really big. So that's my plan for this week. Very good. It's spring. It's go time. It's go time. We want to thank you for listening to the Garden Angelus. If you like our podcast, please tell your friends about us. 
Also hit the subscribe button so you don't miss anything. And if you listen to Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star review. That helps us get noticed by others. And could you also please share our podcast with all your gardening friends? Word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out there. And we are great to weed too. Yes. And be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And if you want to help support us, use the affiliate links. If you buy something after clicking through on them, we're in a small commission and it costs you nothing. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the garden gate today. Bye until next week. Bye, everybody.